Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we're talking to Oyen Com Braithwaite, the author of My Sister, the Serial Killer, out now from Doubleday Books. And you can find all the books we talk about in today's episode linked in your show notes. And if you're looking for a transcript, just follow the link in our show notes and it will take you to our website, readingwomenpodcast.com, where you can find a downloadable PDF of today's episode. This is the most read book for the Reading Women Challenge of 2019. I think it's also the most Instagrammed book I've seen this year. (laughs) Easily. It is the most adorable little book. And I mean little, it's actually a tiny little hardback book. So cute, which is kind of funny considering that it's about a serial killer. I was really surprised by how layered this book was because I was just thinking, oh, thriller. Like, I know what to expect in that way. (laughs) This is unlike any other thriller I've ever read in my life. It's so clever and so complex. I'm really glad that I read it. So a little bit about the author before we head into our interview. Oyen Khan Braithwaite is a graduate of creative writing and law from Kingston University. So she has many talents. She's also a slam poet, which is pretty cool. And in 2016, she was shortlisted for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize. And she's just an all-around awesome person. Yes, so she is very talented. And her book, as I said, was a just a page turner of a read so we were really glad to get to talk to her so without further ado here is our interview with oinkon braithwaite the author of my sister the serial killer so we're so excited to have you on the podcast today oin thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me and i'm sure You've had a whirlwind of a couple of months of how many times I've seen your book posted on Instagram um, is any measure of how well your book has done. So congratulations. Uh, so for our listeners who haven't read My Sister, the Serial Killer yet, um, could you describe it for them? Okay, so it's a story about two sisters. The protagonist is the older sister, Corrie And she has to take care of her younger sister, who also has the unfortunate habit of killing her boyfriends. Um, So Corriday, the older sister, is sort of left to, you know, clean up after her sister and make sure that her sister doesn't get into trouble. Um, But this all gets a little bit complicated when Ayala starts to date the guy that Corriday likes. Just the description. It's like, what do you do when your sister's a serial killer? And she like narrows in on this guy that you've had a crush on for forever. And it's like, I feel like this is the perfect setup for um, this type of book. And so whenever it's pitched to me, I'm like, yes, yes, that is what I need in my life. And so I really enjoyed reading it because it was as good as I hoped it would be. I think one thing that interested me when I started writing it was sort of this idea that, I mean, you and your sister have sort of been brought up in the same environment and, you know, with similar values. So it's not a far off sort of idea that you might like the same guy, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it used to come up in my mind, like what would happen if, you know, my, my sister, um, especially the one after me, we're, we're only two years apart. Like I remember once thinking, what would happen if we, you know, we sometimes go to the same places and what if we both fell for the same guy, what would happen then? You know, would we, 
who would would we admit to it? Would somebody have to sort of uh, give up the guy for somebody else? And I think there was like a little, very little sort of me just trying to work out, you know, what would one do in that scenario? I feel like the sisters are just such the perfect pair to tell the story. Did you always know that two sisters would be the central characters of this story? Um, no, initially it was meant to be friends. Um, you know, I had, but, you know, as I was sort of working through it, I thought, I mean, I know that you can have some really, there have been some really strong bonds between uh, friends, but to some extent I wanted my character to not necessarily to feel kind of stuck in her situation and I think that you know your family there's this sense of you didn't get to choose them you found them they found you the way you are you found them the way you know you just have to make you know make the best of things whereas you choose your friends um so I I think I wanted to take away that element of choice and make it so this love is almost is as much a prison as anything else so we were researching things for this interview, I found an interesting fact that the original title of this book was Thicker Than Water, which, I mean, it makes sense considering that what you've just said and given the themes in the book, but why did the title change from Thicker Than Water to My Sister, the Serial Killer? It was Claire Alexander, uh, my agent, that chose the title. I think initially it was partly because she said there was a book with a similar or the same title. I'm not sure, but fell in love. She came up with the title and she was in love with it. And initially I was a little bit more like, uh, I'm not too sure about it. I was a little bit apprehensive. I was worried people would think it was true crime. I thought it was a bit on the nose, but she, (laughs) you know, but I I trusted her judgment and, and it turned out that I was right to sort of leave it in her hands. Cause it definitely is an eye-catching title for sure. One of the things that I really enjoyed while I was reading your book was the style you wrote it in. It wasn't a surprise to me that you were also an award-winning slam poet. How, like, what's the relationship between, like, your poetry and your writing, and did you have a different approach writing your novel versus your poetry, or, like, what does that look like? I actually don't write poetry as much these days. I I sometimes miss it, but like it's hard to get my mind in that space. I think it can be different. I used to write poetry from a different place. I used to write poetry sort of from a place of uh, frustration or irritation with things that were going on. You know, it, it allowed the words to be intense and all that. But I think also what writing poetry taught me was brevity and you know to be deliberate in your choices um and I think that has definitely affected my prose like I've never been one to sort of waffle on and on when it comes to writing and I think that's mostly because of the poetry because you know I make some deliberate choices but also the way that I wrote the chapter um, style. I didn't write it as one coherent piece necessarily. And, you know, every chapter was a new word document and I would sort of write it that way. And then when I was done with that chapter, I would end it for the day and start another chapter the next day. And now that you're talking about that, like the short chapters and the way that it's structured does really make sense. And, you know, when you look at the book, I didn't realize what a, a small book itself it was as a physical object until, you know, it was in my hands. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and that you mentioned that 
being a poet makes you kind of value every word and be very concise. It really makes sense when you look at the structure and at the length of the novel and this entire story fits in that short amount of space. And I didn't feel like I was missing any part of the story, which is all concisely between the covers. Um, it's probably something I have to work on as well. But like sometimes I feel like, oh, the reader will get, they'll get it. Like they'll be able to fill in the banks. And I think sometimes it's probably comes from a place of loneliness. But at the same time, you know, people do are able to fill in the blanks. You actually don't need to tell you know, every little thing about what your character has been through. And sometimes I think it's interesting not to know and to, because in, in real life, you don't know everything about everybody you come across and you can't always understand why people have done X, Y, Z. You want to understand and you guess and you reason, but at the end of the day, you never really know. And they may not know why they did a particular thing or said a particular thing. So I don't see why in literature I need to, you know, fill in every single blank. I, I think it's especially true with a book like this where there are so many unanswered questions and it's so, oh my goodness, the intensity as I was reading, my heart was beating faster and faster the deeper I got into the book. It was refreshing to read a book that was a thriller that was also like so layered and so complex. One of the things that I thought was interesting was all the different themes that you're able to pack into this like very small story. So, you know, it's about these sisters, it's about violence and like systems of violence and it's about technology and how we present ourselves online and so many other things how did you decide that like this was the type of novel that you wanted to write how did you decide like what to include in the story initially I think I was more focused on this idea of I think maybe two things one I was really focused on this idea of beauty and the way society engaged with beauty and I think that's what I focused a lot in this story and why it got a bit ridiculous in some places because my point was how far does Ayala have to go before people see her for who she really is um you know so that was a huge focus for me and then I suppose the bond between the two women because initially it didn't even have to be sisters but the bond between the two women and the, the complex love was important for me but as I I remember when I started writing it and I thought okay you're writing a you know a modern a contemporary tale for the most part and you've got no social media in it and these are women in their in their mid to late 20s like how that doesn't make sense for you to not have social media in it and I'd never written the story with social media in it before and I wasn't entirely sure that I wanted to do it I didn't know how it would come out you know I thought will it make it crass because I also wasn't accustomed to seeing a lot of social media in in at least the books I, I read so um, that was definitely an interesting thing for me to personally for me to try and I think but a lot of the other themes, apart from like those three, they happened organically. I didn't know. I mean, some of them I found out they were there after people had started reviewing it. It's fascinating to me that it started with beauty because that was one of the things that really stood out to me as I was reading. And, you know, there's one part in the book after Iola meets Tade and her sister's like really mad at her. And Ayola says, you know, all they ever want, they being men, is a pr is a pretty face. And, like, that quote, like, really kind of stopped me in my tracks as I was reading. And it really made me start to think about the relationship between beauty and violence 
in the book. Is there a relationship between beauty and violence, I guess? And, you know, I don't know. I, I just never stopped to think about that before. I don't know necessarily about a correlation between beauty and violence, but I do know that in terms of the influences we have had as as humans, you know, in terms of like the literature we've consumed and the films we've watched and all of that, especially like back in the day where beauty and wholesomeness and goodness were almost synonymous in terms of the literature that we consumed, you know, because you had to be, I mean, if I, if, if I think about like the, the tragedies, the Shakespeare type stories and all of that, all those, you know, women were beautiful. You very rarely had a, if there was a bad woman, she was also ugly. Like they mm-hmm. went hand in hand, you know, even when, even when a woman was, you know, if she died, she died young and beautiful. And um, I think around that time as well, um, well, not necessarily around, but maybe one or two years beforehand. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, there was this hashtag that was going around Prison Bay, which was about a guy who whose mugshot had gone viral because yes. he was really attractive. Yeah, yes. exactly. And, I do remember um, that. So, you know, after he, he got out of prison, he got these modeling gigs and all of that. And the whole time I was like, but what crime did he commit? Like, you know, I'm sure other people were asking the question as well, but there was this overwhelming sense of, oh my goodness, he's so attractive. But there were other inmates who maybe were more deserving. I don't know. I don't know the guy personally, but just on the, you know, the principle of it, there were other people who maybe weren't as attractive who were, who would come out of prison and struggle to find jobs, struggle to make a living. But this guy off of his looks alone was making a killing. And, you know, I think eventually he left his wife and he impregnated an heiress and there was this whole thing. And I just thought like, this is off of nothing, not his personality, you know, not anything else except the way that he looks. Um, So it just goes to show it's not even just women, it's men as well. And I, and I find that quite interesting. I think there's a lot to say about the perception of who is bad and who is good uh, based on their physical appearance. And I feel like our society definitely believes that goodness is always beautiful and badness is always ugly. But in reality, like I feel like this book illustrates very well that that's not really the case at all. It's it's just there are good people and bad people of whatever they look like. And there is this image in my mind of Iola coming back home and it's a couple days after her sister has cleaned up yet another murder and she's like taking pictures and posting them on Instagram and her sister has to like remind her that's not actually socially acceptable yet like you need to wait a few days it just kind of stuck with me I don't know if you've seen like movies or shows like Dexter like they have to learn these socially acceptable behaviors and different types of things um just because of their psychology <laughs> I feel like a lot of people nowadays don't know where to draw the line mm. and, and, you know, and not sociopaths, not psychopaths, just normal people where maybe you're showing, you know, parts of your life that maybe shouldn't be shown. Maybe you're, you know, you're mourning on camera and like, you, you know, you're mourning in front of the camera, you're doing certain things in front of the camera. And when, when, for example, you're mourning in front of the camera, say, how much of that is grief? How much of it is acting? Because you're still aware that there's a camera on you. You can't not be aware of that. I think that 
generally, like, it's not just limited to sociopaths and the ILAs of the world. Like, generally, people are acting all the time for the benefit of of the entire world. I, th- I think that's true. And it's interesting to see, it feels like every six to nine months, there's a discussion that goes around the internet about authenticity and what is actually authentic. But, you know, it's interesting, too, even thinking about this... Um, Corday and Iola's mom, and like even she's performing in a way, you know, motherhood and not not trying to give away any spoilers, but you know, like so she, even though she's from a different generation, like she's doing the same thing too, and we all do it too. You know, it's interesting. It is interesting. And we'll be back with more of a discussion of my sister, the serial killer, after a word from our sponsor. One of the things that Autumn and I both found really fascinating was that early on in the story, uh, we're told that Iola has been carrying around this knife that belonged to her father and that she carries it around the way other women carry around tampons. And we learn later that the sisters have seen a lot of violence and they have had violence committed against them. Uh, So what is it about about being a woman that makes her carrying around a knife seem as commonplace as carrying around a tampon. I mean, that was just an easy connection for me to make because, as you know, every woman understands that, you know, for the most part, you know, I've been in an, like environments with other women where, you know, a woman will ask another woman, oh, do you have an extra pad or, you know, whatever, because they've forgotten theirs. And, you know, so you're accustomed to sometimes I carry because I'm like, OK, even if I don't need maybe I'll come across somebody who needs you know, uh, for whatever reason. Um, so it was a very easy connection for me to make because that's like one of those things that's a staple in a woman's bag. So in terms of just to stress how the basically the knife is never far from Ayala, I wasn't thinking so much about violence against women necessarily as I was just because um, Nigeria was still, I'm not sure how much we practice it now, but like still a corporal punishment society for the most part. So, you know, in secondary school, for example, teachers would still, at least when I was in school, I don't know about now, but teachers would still discipline students with like a cane or whatever, you know, and parents sometimes um, as well. So I was drawing more from that, but obviously their father has gone, you know, he's quite violent, he's quite intense, and he's he's quite destructive in his behavior towards them. And I think it affects, I mean, it affects them both, but I think Ayala becomes the custom. Maybe she's not as repelled by violence as she would otherwise be. I felt the symbolism was just so well done with this in that she got the knife from her father and that it has that weight to it. And the fact that Corday is kind of fascinated or or drawn in by this knife and is like trying to remove the knife from her sister, but her sister is always hiding it. And just the symbolism that went along with that, I felt that was integrated so well with their past history together in relation to the violence that we've talked about against them. And again, I won't give any spoilers. And the fact that this knife is kind of just the symbol of what they carry with them and have inherited. Uh, As you were writing these characters' backstories, was that something that you were like consciously thinking of like, okay, this is where the sisters are at and this is how they got there? Okay. So initially, you know, like I said, when I decided that um, I didn't want it to be just friends, you know, because I had to justify to myself and to whoever would be reading why 
Corridor would go so far for Ayala. At the first level, I was like, okay, I think this is beyond friendship. I can't, I can't justify it with the friendship, you know, because at, personally, at some stage, I think it'd be safe to walk away. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, I can't do friends you know, sisters, but then even with the sisters, I got to a point where I thought, okay, do you know what? There has to be something more than even sisterhood. So I thought I figured they had to have a shared trauma that would bind them. Cause I think when people go through something together, even if it's not something really horrific, but something trying or whatever, it gives you something that the rest of the world isn't privy to. And so their shared trauma has given them another another stage of bonding, um, for lack of a better term. Um, so, you know, so I was getting to it bit by bit, even with the knife at some stage, you know, it was just a knife. And then, you know, every time I would write a scene with the father, I would realize actually, you know, there's something more to this. And, you know, cause I was writing from Corday's perspective, Corday is also seeking to understand um, her sister and why her sister does what she does. So she's playing with different ideas, mostly because she, it's a part of her is also trying to absolve her sister of responsibility. So it's easy for her to say, okay, you know, maybe this isn't all my sister. Maybe a part of it is this object, you know, and, and the things that we have been through. What you just said about um, Corday trying to help absolve Iola. I think I thought that was such a, uh, as an older sister, that really resonated with me, um, especially like, you know, the first scene is is Corday cleaning up this horrible blood everywhere, bleach, you know, all this stuff. The lengths that she would go for her sister was really, I mean, it is an interesting question, right? Like, as a sister, like, would I do that for my siblings? No, but I just thought, like, their the relationship was something really interesting, and especially that, you know, her sister was a nurse, um, was also interesting. I, their dynamic was just really something beautiful. I had fun with them, especially I like, I had a lot of fun um, with her and, you know, cause the character, like to some extent, I never really knew what she was going to say or what was going to happen next. It was, it was very sort of, I could follow her. I mean, it was Corday's point of view, but which made, I suppose made it easier for me to just allow I allowed to one may I be like I I didn't have to plan her out like I would just put her in a situation and it would come to me what she would say because she was always kind of ridiculous. One of the things that I found so interesting was the dynamic between the mother and the two girls, and so you have a mother who wants to see her daughters married, but she seems to have kind of given up on Corday and is very focused on Iola, who always seems to have some sort of man around. But the mother doesn't seem to know what's going on between like the two sisters and what's happening to these men. But at the same time, I kept wondering, like, does she not realize where all of these men in this in her daughter's life are, are disappearing to? Does she find it not weird? you know, that this is happening. And then there's a scene she's wanting to absolve her daughter of any kind of uh, responsibility. But at the same time, you're like, but you, you're not asking all of the questions. It's like she's remaining willfully blind, if that makes sense. I mean, to be honest, their mom in several ways is also, you know, in many ways was also a victim of their dad. And I think you know, maybe she, maybe at the back of her head, she's aware that she didn't do very much 
for them, but like she already has a history, at least with their father, of turning the other cheek or looking the other way. And also it's it's a hard thing for a mother to like I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with it, but I, I imagine like it it'll take a minute before you're like, Yep, I've got a I've got a serial killer for a child. I <laughs> reckon <laughs> <laughs> you give yourself a couple opportunities to like be proven. You know, she's never really had to deal with it. So so yeah, I think it would suit her more but i i have to admit it's not i don't think that's the conclusion i would leap to that i might suspect there's something fishy with my child but i wouldn't think that they were offing a bunch of like people (laughs) it's so interesting how like the psychology of all of these characters even though it's a very short amount of space is there on the page at the forefront did you have a certain process of how you got to know all of these characters and what they would do uh like so when that you sat down and started to write that it just you know came from your mind or was it something you had to revise and get to know them a little more um I'm not very good at plotting too much because I get stuck in my head and it's impossible to write anything so I kind of like to go with the floor and like discover as I go, I knew it, the sisters were kind of okay for me because, you know, to, to many extents, they're polar opposites. I mean, I, I sort of created Ayala as a, sec, um, as a, what's the word? As a two-dimensional character. I actually drew a lot of inspiration from anime there because I watched a lot of anime and I realized, having watched so much anime, I realized that they've pulled off characters that I love, but are also two dimensional characters. And I thought if they could do it, you know, maybe it was possible for me too. So I didn't actually treat Ayola as a three dimensional character. I didn't flesh her out the way that we're taught to. I did for Corridor, but not for Ayola. And I thought I could fake it. I thought I could fake it a bit because she has such strong characteristics and the characteristics aren't, you know, she's a killer on one hand, but she's very childlike and sort of, she has this innocent quality. It gives the illusion that she's a three dimensional character, even though she, she isn't really, you know, like I said, I was, I didn't really plot her out that much. And I, every time it was time for her to speak, I would sort of just guess what she would say. And, you know, I would have, a lot of fun with it. Corridor I spent a little bit more time on, but some of the characters even just came going. I wouldn't even particularly say Tade was a two, three-dimensional character, um, but I think maybe Corridor, maybe Mutar, I spent a little bit more time on them. All of your characters were so wonderful and engaging, and this is a page-turner of a read. I'm sure we would love to talk to you more about your book, but we're don't want to give away any spoilers. So we always like to ask our authors who come on the podcast if there are any books that you have read recently that you would like to recommend to our listeners. Oh, gosh. I really, really, really loved um, Milkman, which was on the Women's Prize shortlist. I quite enjoyed that but it's very different from my story. I don't know if I'm supposed to suggest one that if they like, well, okay, I I really enjoyed, I'm not, it's not a recent story though. Um, but um, I liked, I really liked Eleanor Oliphant's is completely fine. If somebody read my book and they were interested in like a quirky, coming across another quirky, weird character, 
then I think that's a book to read. I haven't finished Cersei yet. Um, I'm liking it. I haven't finished it yet. An American Marriage is another one I read recently that I liked. No, all of those are some of our favorites, definitely. Yeah, and you're about to start uh, your American book tour. You're heading over here. We typically like to ask about your next projects, but I feel like that would be definitely qualify as your next project. Uh, so do you know some of the places that you're planning on visiting while you're in the States? You know what? I, so, like, I just, I'm so terrible with the American States. I know I'll be in New York at some point. I think I'm going to be in Minneapolis. I don't know. I've kind of forgotten everywhere else. I'm jumping from state to state quite a bit whilst I'm whilst I'm in the U.S. I don't know. I figured out. I'm just gonna follow whoever's like. <laughs> they'll just be like, right, Oyin, you're going to this airport next, and I'm there. Like, I well, safe travels, and hopefully you'll get to see some stuff and eat some food and have some fun while you're at it as well. No worries. We will definitely keep our eyes peeled. But thank you so much, Oyan, for talking to us about your book. We loved reading it and we loved getting to talk to you about it as well. We'd like to thank Oyan Braithwaite for talking to us today about her novel, My Sister the Serial Killer, which is out now from Doubleday. You can find Oyan on her website, oyanclenbraithwaite.com, and on Instagram at oyanbraithwaite. And of course, all of her information will be linked in our show notes. We'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at KD Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.